Hi, I'm Victor Compulsive Overeater. I remember the very first time I was asked to share many years ago, I started with the following because it was true. I said, I'm uh, your uh, uh, leader uh, and uh, your very humble and nervous speaker for this evening. Because I'm a human being, I feel a certain amount of nerves anytime I stand up in front of other people or if I'm in a situation of any kind. And the important thing right now for me to know and for me to be able to relate to you is, is that's okay because it's a human being. This is what it comes with. Um, I'm just going to read off a few things, and these following are just as factual as I can make them. Um, in the past year, I was uh, held my uh, favorite cat while she was being euthanized. Um, I work in an industry that continues to uh, shrink, uh, and my biggest customer is not buying what they used to. I work as 100% commission sales. For those who don't know, it means I don't get any salary. I eat what I make. And uh, back in June and again in December, I did and also will have the opportunity to make a presentation standing in front of a crowd that's about this big with a screen in back of me that's about 10 feet high by 20 feet that tells everything about the number of sales I've made over the last period of time, what my projections are for the following year. And occasionally I look up there to see if they've actually put a colonoscopy up there of mine, but they haven't done that quite yet, but it's getting there. Uh, my wife takes 17 prescription medications a day. She fell and broke her tailbone a few weeks ago. Couldn't take any painkillers because it would interact with the rest of the medications. I tore my meniscus cartilage in my knee, uh, which required uh, rehabilitation. I have the C6 and C7 between there. That disc is degenerating, and it causes some pain from time to time. Uh, health insurance is going up this year. A part of our premiums will go up 27%. I've also been dealing with peripheral neuropathy system uh, symptoms. My wife and daughter don't get along. My wife and I had a discussion last night that wasn't particularly wonderful and kind. It was loving, but it was not an easy one. Um, just found out a couple of days ago that we're going to have to move out of the house for three days because the house needs to be tended to taking care of termites. Um, and we also have two boarders that live with us as well, too, uh, that will have to help take care of things. Uh, when I woke up this morning and I went uh, in and I shave, got a shave this morning, it was completely black as I turned around and immediately walked swiftly right into the door with my face and my toe and everything. And I, I, I issued a few couple of epithets along the way, too. Um, and Africa. Now, if, if anybody wants to know what that means, please ask me at the end of a question, just in case I forget to bring that one up again. Um, and with that, I'm going to start off with this particular reading from October 22nd from for today. And it says, the man, and in this case I'll enter women as well too, who looks for security even in the mind is like a man who would chop off his limbs in order to have artificial ones which will give him no pain or trouble. And that's what I saw at different points in my life as well too. That one way to be able to give me that an anesthetic that would keep me separated from all the things in life that I felt uncomfortable with, which could be any number of different things. Um, my father was one of eight children. He was born in 1907. He was the youngest. And my mother was one of 13 children. She was about third from the youngest, and she was born in 1912. I was the only child. It wasn't that they tried, but I'm the only one that happened to pop out. So... In my early years, I remember looking back at photographs of myself when I was a baby, and I sort of remind myself of a baby gorilla, which will tie into Africa at some other point. And I remember when we would go to the store, the people would always say, oh, you can get things that you need for him in the husky department. 
And so that was the image I had of myself growing up. When I was five years old, uh, there was one day my mother told me when I was going next door to play with a fellow who was a year older than I was, so he was, you know, he was an old guy by comparison to a five-year-old. And she told me, uh, don't lend your toys to him. Well, that was all she said. And I said, probably okay, because I was five years old, and that's what you say to your mom at that time. Went next door, played with the uh, young man, and of course, guess what I did? You know, this is part of me is, is that I like to share. Uh, part of it has been in my lifetime because I want other people to like me. But part of it is just that this is part of my nature, is that I do like to share things with other people when I can. And that was just something I did as a five-year-old. You know, they talk about, you know, coming to the age of reason at a certain age, and according to some of those, I was not at the age of reason yet. And so when I came home, my mother asked me, I said, yes, I did. I shared this, you know, a couple of cars or something, a little toy cars with this boy next door. She then took a belt and whipped me, and then after a few seconds held me and told me that she loved me. Now, there's a number of things I learned at that time about me really being conscious of it, because at five years old, once again, I haven't, haven't really reached the age of reason yet. And one is, is, is that the people who love you may possibly hurt you. That infractions that may be only of the nature of, and I'm, for those of you who can't see, I'm putting my hand almost near the floor, and the possible punishment, as I'm lifting my hand on the other end, all the way up near the ceiling, could be completely disparate. I think most of the people in this room would probably think to themselves in a rational way, that really seemed completely out of balance. And that was really the, really the big, big key thing that I learned at that moment without my understanding that then, as I think I do it a little bit more now. And that was, life is going to be unbalanced. So I need to find some way to be able to put it back in balance again. And the only way that I could do that at the time, and I learned this from my mother, who um, weighed somewhere north of 330 pounds, was that at five foot six, is that she was a great cook, and she was the one who introduced me to food as a method of not having to deal with the things that I needed to deal with. And she didn't understand that at the time. Sometimes I wait, but at the moment I'm going to go ahead and jump in quickly and say that I have a tremendous amount of compassion for my mother now. After having gone through the feelings of hurt and anger and resentment, and bless you, and understanding that here is a woman who I've just described back in the early 50s who obviously had some type of problem with food and OA didn't even exist in the mind of anyone at the time. It was at least almost eight to ten years before this particular program would even come into being. So, there's a part of it too that whenever I talk about this point, I have a tremendous amount of understanding and love for her, and there's a certain amount not only of compassion, but when I talk about this and I talk about her, I do this as much for her as I do for me because she didn't have any place to, to do this. I, I don't even know if she would have had the tools to be able to express some of the things that she had to express because of all the things and all the hurts that she had gone through through all those years and possibly something had even happened that same day that she hit me with a belt was the only way she could express what she needed to express. And oh, by the way, um, I say the following not as a matter of ego but a matter of I'm relaying stories, once again, factual of what other people told me about her. I was the love of her life. I was the light of her life. And she had so much pain at the moment that she was willing to hurt the one that she loved the most. And so 
going forward from there over the years, you know, I was able at a certain point um, to continue to grow vertically rather than horizontally up to a certain point. Always had big thighs. And to this day, by the way, if I were to try and do anything with my body right now, it would take a chainsaw, so I'm going to pass up on that and just allow whatever happens in OA to be who I am with what my body is today. And over the years, once again, I was able to outgrow the width by continuing to get bigger. And then I got to a certain point where I went to high school that required an entrance exam to get into it, and a lot of people were not taken, and I happened to be chosen. And I was so terrified of that, although I didn't really understand at the time that within the space of about six to eight weeks, I'd already gained 20 pounds. And that continued on and on throughout my life. There are people in here who've lost tremendously, much more weight than I have, and I have a tremendous regard for them because I can begin to, in a small way, through my own personal experiences, understand what a challenge that may be. And with me, it wasn't so much going up to 100, 120, 140 or more pounds, so what it was a matter of is I would gain, and I would lose, and I would gain 35, and I would lose 20, and I kept doing that over my lifetime, over and over and over and over again. And I had gotten to the point where at one point in my life, my self-esteem was so low, and I use this as an example. My first wife came out one day when I was polishing this used motorcycle that I just purchased. It was new to me. And I really enjoyed it. It was fine. It was also transportation to work. But she came out and she looked at it and she looked at me and she said, gee, you spent a lot of time cleaning your motorcycle. With no rancor in her voice, with no judgment that I'm aware of. And I never touched it again. I never cleaned that motorcycle again because somehow what I heard was, Victor, you're not being what I want you to be. And so therefore, what you need to do is you need to find a way to punish yourself to be able to make, bring back into balance this thing called life and what I live with. There's a, there's a joke that has something to do with a, uh, a dog who's misbehaving and he takes, uh, let's put it this way, he uses the front room as his restroom in the house. Gentleman takes the dog to a uh, psychiatrist, the dog psychiatrist, and says to him, he says, you know, this is what's happening to the dog. The psychiatrist says, okay, I've got it. He says, here's what you need to do. The next time he does his business in the living room, you rub his nose and it, you hit him with a paper and you throw him out the window. So a few weeks pass, he happens to come back, the owner comes back to the uh, veterinarian again and says, well, I took care of that, he's got some other problems now, he's got this twitch and stuff. And the doctor says, well, that's great, but does he still do his business in the living room? And the guy says, oh yeah, he does. What he does, he does his business in the living room, he rubs his nose in it, hits himself with the paper and jumps out the window. And that's what I do when I'm not in balance. Somehow I have to punish myself for just being who I am. And the thing that this program has taught me is that I don't need to do that anymore. A number of years back, actually in September 16th, at roughly at about 7.25, 1991, give or take 30 seconds, I walked into my first OA meeting, and I'll tell you how I got there. What happened was is, is that just about two weeks before, my wife and I were, my second wife and I were expecting a son. And I got the call one day at work, and I took her to the hospital, and that son that we were expecting didn't make it. And I remember after making sure that she was okay, 
uh, when we got home a couple of days later and I remember asking her if she was all right, knowing that there were still other things to happen, probably emotionally and stuff like that. And she said yes. And it was somebody like somebody had thrown on a switch and I just started crying and I started sobbing. And within a week afterwards, I went to my wife and the short version of a longer story so I can get into recovery is that I walked up to her and for the first time in my life to another human being, other than the one I used to curse out in the mirror, is I told her, I said, I have a problem with food and I don't know what to do with it and I don't know what to do about it. But it's got control of me and I have nothing, no control of it whatsoever. And since she was kind enough, and we'd met in a 12-step program early on, she was nice enough to be able to say to me, you might want to consider going to OA. Of course, I got the information, and just like negotiations sometimes happen, and there was a war about 45 years or so ago, and it took them a year to figure out the size of the uh, table and where everybody should sit on it before they even sat down for the negotiations. And I had that information to go to OA, and then on a, a particular morning, the one I just mentioned, I was driving to another 12-step program, I started having one of those famous debates in my head, which I've come to understand is that any time I debate myself, I'm going to lose. That's guaranteed. And at that particular moment, after I realized that, I was willing to, to continue out the Santa Monica Freeway and get off the ramp and go to my first OA meeting. And in a room almost, but not quite this size, I was willing to stand up at one point when they asked for newcomers and raise my hand and said, I have a problem with food and I am a compulsive overeater and started to cry as well, too. The thing that I'm truly tremendously grateful for is, is that after all of that, I found my way into these particular rooms. Uh, even though I'd been in a 12-step program before, uh, it's an old joke, it says if you're not in three 12-step three programs, you're in denial. And um, I, um, I found that I had to work the steps here again. Because the important part was is that I had been hiding from myself all these years all the things that were associated with my compulsive overeating. And this other 12-step program, which I got into almost 34 years ago now, after a few months I was beginning to realize that there was this word that was involved with food kept finding its way into the things that I was writing. So I had al already understood a long time ago that this was a problem in my life. But I, 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 I'm sure none of you felt this. I didn't want the embarrassment of having to be in an OA program. All the other programs seem to have some sort of sexiness to them, you know, if you're a gambler, if you're an addict, if you're an alcoholic. But there's really, truly nothing apparently sexy about being in OA, except that I find it tremendously sexy now in this particular portion of my life because I can accept who I am today for what I am today. What do I do besides coming to meetings? It's important for me to be of service. And the reason it's important for me to be of service is, is that I have sure as hell don't know what it does for you, but I know what it does for me. It gets me out of my own head. Someone that I sponsor said that they were having these series of thoughts about lust about someone else and good thoughts that they didn't feel were good to take place. And the thing I told them is, is that what you need to do is you need to do something simple. You need to go out and find something or some person that you can do something very small for. It, and just to be able to get out of your own head because if I don't get out of my own head what happens is, as I mentioned earlier I'm going to lose that debate which is going to lead me right back into the food again because my compulsive overeating is a disease it's firmly rooted in my brain I used to joke and I'd raise my hand as I'm, I'm a compulsive overeater still darn it but you know at this particular point in my life it really doesn't matter 
it really doesn't matter what I am in terms of my food or anything else in my life as long as I'm trying to be honest with myself and other people. And so for me to get out of my head, it's important for me to become of service in some fashion. Setting up chairs, being part of a service board, sponsoring other people, or just doing something kind for somebody at work or something, you know, somewhere where I could take a particular tack and rip their head off and instead of that, leave it intact. Being able still, if possible, by the way, this is very important in this discussion I had with my wife last night, at one particular point I got angry. Now, I didn't take out something and hit her with it, didn't throw her out the window, didn't throw myself out of the window, didn't try and hurt myself in any particular fashion. But at the moment I realized I was capable of being able to convey what I needed to convey her to her with some passion without trying to rip her apart but because it was something that touched me deeply enough but I needed to convey it in such a way that it would have been disingenuous for me to have sat there with my hands crossed and smiling and trying to say it in such a fashion that somebody else would still like me and still love me. And all of that has come through working the steps of the program and all the other aspects of the program as well. Step one tells me that I've got a problem. Pretty obvious. It talks about it. And I've got to tell you that the reading that happens, you know, and how it works, it took me a long time to realize that the A, B, and C were steps one, two, and three, because I was like, what the hell are these things doing in here? But the first one is, is that step one, it tells me that I've got a problem. And that problem is not only food, by the way. But the problem has is that food is an outside uh, demonstration of part of this illness that I have inside of me that keeps me from wanting to do things in life that are good for me and other people, and that wants me to be able to encourage me, demands of me, that I control everything and everyone else outside of myself so that my life will be okay. But the problem with that is that problem of food and everything else led me to the realization that my life had become unmanageable. I couldn't take care of my own life. I was not able to do it by myself. And this is an ongoing thing for me is I cannot do that going forward at any time by myself, for myself. People sometimes talk about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. And those who have ever tried to put boots on you know what it is? They've got these two little handles and the boots so that you can pull them on with. I'm not going to do it right now because I've got a bad knee. But if you can imagine yourself grabbing those handles and trying to pull yourself up off the ground for any length of time, you might be able to do it for a tenth of a second, but gravity is going to take over and you're going to come crashing down. I don't believe that. I don't believe that any human being can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, they've had to, had to make a connection with someone if they're going to have a full and enjoyable life that helps them rise out of whatever circumstances they, there were. And this is what you did for me. And I don't know if it does anything for you, but that's why I still show up. Because I know one day at a time, I'm going to continue to eat if I'm left to my own devices. The second step tells me there's, uh, you know, there's a possible solution to this. Um, I use the word God because it's convenient. Most people, if they were to listen to my definition of God, would possibly call me an atheist. I don't see myself that way, and I'll be happy to have a theological discussion with you afterwards if you want to about that. The one thing I do know is I'm not God. One thing I do know is that a power greater than myself has restored me at times when I allow it to sanity. And all of those things, whatever that God power happens to be, that higher power happens to be, comes through you. And so, therefore, without you, I cannot do anything on my own to take care of this particular problem and disease that I have. And then the third step says that if I want to, I can start making a commitment towards, you know, finding some way to be able to relieve me 
of this obsession of food. And in that third step prayer that's in the third step, there's one phrase or sentence in there that I think embodies the program to me and what I really need to remember, and that's as follows. That wasn't a pregnant pause. That was me drinking water. Relieve me of the bondage of self. That's what it boils down to for me. Because the only person that really ultimately put me into bondage was me. There was no one else that did it for me. No one else made me do it. No man who crawled in the window one day with a gun and said, Victor, you need to start compulsively overeating right now or I'm going to kill you. But that's how it felt. And from there, if I want to, I can continue on through the rest of the steps so I can start taking a look at my past, what my responsibility is and things that have happened in the past. And if I want to be able to do that and then share that with another human being in my higher power, and I'm willing to, then my higher power will remove those things from me that are detriments to my being able to stay abstinent within this particular program. And once I've done that, then of course there's going to be people out there in the process of what I've done that I've harmed, intentionally or unintentionally. And those people that come up in my uh, inventory are the ones that I need to be able to say in some fashion whenever possible that I'm sorry. I can't do that with my mother. She died uh, 40 years ago. Yeah, a little over 40 years ago now. And even though she's the one that introduced me to my addiction, and fed my addiction. I also understand truly that she didn't do anything to me because she was really out to necessarily hurt me. It was just her dealing with her pain. But of all the things that I thought about her in particular time, I've gone and I've prayed at her graveside, buried next to my dad out in Rose Hills. And that's all I can do with anybody. I simply say I apologize for this. My actions were not right. And if I can clean up my street like that, then I can get rid of all those detriments and things that inhibit me from growth in this program that occurred in the past. And guess what? Here comes the wonderful news. The wonderful news is I get to do it one day at a time on a continuing basis. Oh, damn. And um, brings me to that 10th step, which is is that I'm a human being. I... There's one particular person that I sponsor who gets really hung up on on the fact that they make mistakes. And I I tell this particular person, I have made a mistake every single day of my life since I've been born. Some of them not so bad. Some of them a lot worse. And that going forward, I know today I can tell you one thing guaranteed. Today I'm going to make a mistake. And I can tell you that once again, from now to the the time that I die, I'm going to make a mistake for every, every day. Some small, some big. But the bottom line is, is if I want to, I can keep that part of my side of the street cleaned up so I don't have to keep carrying it around like the stuff that I did before. And in order for me to maintain that connection with everything out there that I believe in in terms of what the spiritual, not the religious, but the spiritual part of my life is, is step 11. And step 11, it says thought through prayer and meditation. Well... Once again, because I'm still a little bit of a rebel, I do it differently, but I do this for a reason. What I do is I meditate first for 20 minutes. I was about to say every morning, but that's not true. 95% of the time, I will meditate for 20 minutes as I did this morning. And then afterwards, I will go through the things that I'm grateful for to remind myself that there are a tremendous number of things that I have to be grateful for. And 
then what I get to do if I want to is I get to go through the first pardon first three steps and what I, my goal is is that if after I've gone through each one of those first three steps if I haven't actually sat there and thought about what they've meant I go back over it again because anything in life can be done by rote for it to be still vibrant and active it's something that I have to think and, and talk about and on some particular occasions when I get into that third step prayer because we're on tape I can't use some of the foul words that I use when I'm talking to my higher power because I know my higher higher power knows that that's in my heart anyway and so it would be disingenuous of me I'd be lying if I sat there and prayed so piously to God that I wanted to take out in the back alley and beat the crap out of because I want that particular day for him to get his ass down here and he can do the footwork and let me get up there and smoke a few cigars and take care of the results for at least 24 hours and that's not my part in it my part in it is to be able to maintain my spiritual contact on an ongoing basis and my spiritual contact is found through lots of things just driving in this morning it's one of those cliches almost in our lifetime a rainbow but it is there and it is a reminder as written many many years ago and I'll wrap up with this is that there is if you have a problem with compulsive or reading and all the clouds in your life that hide all the truth from you are still there remember if you're willing to find those clouds parted for you and if you participate in that you can find that wonderful beautiful sky and the beautiful rainbow at the end. And when you get to that 12th step, you'll be more than willing to want to go out and do the 12th step work to share that with other people. There are a lot of other things I could say, but the important part is I'm here today. I don't have to be funny. I don't have to be witty. All I have to do is share my experience, strength, and hope. Please, if you're new, keep coming back. Because if you do that, and this is something I'm tremendously grateful for, I've been absent now 20, now almost 24 years if I make it, in the program, and I remind everybody and I remind myself when I say that the record for absence is only 24 hours and sometimes it's only two minutes so please keep coming back uh, let's see what we got um, after the seventh tradition is uh, read I not quite understand that but that's okay this is time for questions only there is no sharing at this meeting if you need to share please do so with any of us after the meeting also please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself because we're being recorded. Just to remind you, if, we, if you are, you may show up on a podcast. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the early place. See, if I only read this stuff, it actually works rather well. Um, if being recorded, please restate the question after it is asked, is what it tells me. So, any questions? Oh, yes. Um, which is interesting to think because it ties into all the things I mentioned. All the things that I listed, I didn't need to eat over any of those. That's the important part of mentioning it. Not to say poor me, or not to say yay me, but the Africa story is, is, is that I... I will be 67 in a few, mom- in a few months. My wife is uh, a few moments still. Believe me, as you get older, it feels like a few moments. It does, yeah. um, And flies time occasionally as well. Too, but, um, and my wife is five years younger than I am. As I did mention, she does take 17 prescription medications today, so she has a lot of medical challenges. And we're going to go to Africa on January 20th. God willing, the creek don't rise, as my mom used to say, for being from Oklahoma. And we're going to be there. We're going to be 22 days. Um, 
so first time I answered that to somebody, they said, oh my God, aren't you afraid? I said, no, nah, if I wanted Ebola, all I got to do is fly to Dallas. <laughs> so we're going to be on the other side of the continent. Africa is a rather large continent, so we're going to be on the other side. And there's a possibility when I go into the middle of December and I tell my boss that I'm taking three weeks off, it might affect my job. I don't know. But I know that there are times in life where, and I'll stop there for a moment, I'll tell people, I have a fear of heights. I don't ever want to jump out of a plane. But if I got to jump out of a plane, I really like a parachute. So there is a certain calculation in this, and there is a possibility that it might affect my job status. I don't know. But what this program has given me is the ability to know that all I need to do is make reasonable plans for the future, don't get into expectations, which are just going to give birth to resentments. But I can have hope for the future, and that's the one tremendous thing that this program has given me is hope. Plus, one other thing I'll mention, too, I now get the enjoyment of enjoying my food, even though I eat a hell of a lot less than I used to. But I enjoy everything that comes into me. Well, 95% of it, anyway. Does that answer the question about Africa? Thanks. Question. The question was about abstinence, what my abstinence is possibly when I started and where it is today. When I went to that first meeting, um, all I knew was I had a problem with food. I asked somebody to share with me what their abstinence was. That was three meals a day with nothing in between. And that's what I had uh, as my abstinence as far as from a food plan standpoint goes. My abstinence is, is abstaining from compulsive overeating. That's my bottom line abstinence. But there are also certain foods that I don't eat. If somebody had come to me almost 24 years ago and told me I would have another, another, not ever have another bite of chocolate, I would take them out in the back alley and beat the crap out of them because I had no idea how not to do that. Um, over the years, because I work uh, in my, what I earn my money living at, sometimes requires me, like it did a few weeks ago, to be up for like 32 hours, 28 hours, and 26 hours in the space of 10 days. That's a bit unusual. With very couple of few cat naps, but really no sleep in those periods of time. So what I've done is, is that also as I've gotten older, I don't eat as much as I, I don't need to eat as much as I used to. I hate to tell you young people, but that's, that's what you get to look forward to. But if you've got a program, remember that. They can't see that on, on uh, no, okay, good, good. I just a, a quick prayer to my higher power. Um, and so what I've done is over the years I've modified it I have five meals a day but they're small and I maintain a little bit of flexibility when I have to when I've been up from six o'clock in the morning and it's now four o'clock the next day and I haven't had any sleep because I know one of my triggers back then and still has the potential to be it is I would confuse being tired with being hungry and guess what food provides energy and back when I wasn't thinking clearly that's what I would go to and I, because of the nights that I described there a moment ago, I would take in all sorts of substances in the way of food to keep myself as high as I can. The problem is I kept crashing down again and had to do it again. Does that answer the question for you? Thank you so much. Where the year that you had to change your food for whatever... What I still feel scared... Uh, I'm sorry. What have I done about uh, over the years when I've been confronted with, with food uh, that... Uh, I may be afraid of. I might be afraid of something that's going to happen if I take that first bite, for example. Is that reasonable restatement of the question? Okay. Um, I had, I'm going to use something very specific. About a year and a half ago, 
I bought a particular product that makes a line of products. And I'm fine with that. It's within my absence. There's no problem with it whatsoever. And then they came out with a new one. Okay, let's try it. Got about three, four bytes, five bytes, six bytes, seven, eight bytes, nine bytes, ten bytes, eleven, twelve bytes into it and said, no, no, this is a problem. I could, this is, I'm going down that wrong road. I mean, I could feel it. I could feel what it was doing. It's almost like, you know, watching the wolf man, you know, when he changes, he starts getting hairy. It's that kind of feeling of like your entire body starts to tingle. And you just, it's, it's almost as if you're being possessed. And you want to just keep going on what it is that we do as compulsive overeaters is we eat. And uh, what I do when that happens, there have been other occasions of that too, is I can reach out to somebody, I can call, I can write, I can read something. But if I'm really stuck somewhere, I've been on some of the occasions like this where I remember going into a meal where I was angry and I had to eat in this business situation. It was the only thing I was going to be able to eat and it was going to happen in 60 seconds. I say a quick prayer to my higher power. I said, give me the strength and guidance of what it is I need to do. I have no idea what it's supposed to be that I'm going to be doing in this situation. But if you do that, I will do my best afterwards to try and you know, talk to somebody or write about this so that I don't give myself the opening of, oh, Victor was able to do it this time by himself because I can never do that, never been able to, and still can't do that. Did that answer the question? Thank you. Thank you, Victor. How did you first discover your higher power and how did you develop that relationship? Good question. The question is, how did I first discover my higher power and how did I develop that relationship? Um, well, there was a higher power that was given to me when I was born. And I followed the rules and regulations of that higher power up until a certain point where I discovered this uh, particular uh, illegal substance in my life outside of food, and which also dovetailed perfectly into that. And actually, what it, for me, the higher power, and this is not for everybody, but the first time I discovered my first higher power in my adult life where I made the choice as to what that was going to be, who that was going to be, what that was going to be, was uh, almost 34 years ago when I woke up one morning and I was a single dad with two kids with no pre-notification of, oh, by the way. And I realized at that moment that there were things that I was going to be called on that I, was, that I needed to do got into my first 12-step program and understood at that point, as I mentioned earlier when I was talking, was I can't do this on my own. Because, well, I take that back. I can do it on my own, but I know what the results are that way, and I do it on my own. Over the years, in the beginning, it was not quite a throwback, but it covered a bit of some of the things with the higher power that had been given when I was younger that I started picking bits and pieces from. And then over the years, especially after I, I got into OA, I began realizing more and more that um, there was a woman who uh, wrote this book and many, many years ago, what she would do all during the summertime, she would go out to the beach at summertime. She had a small little cottage at the beach and the first thing she did the first day she got there was she took everything out. So it was completely empty. And then she would start taking things back in as she needed them. And then in the process of me coming in touch with my higher power, I began to understand those really true moments of when I needed something, whatever that was, to be able to provide new guidance and strength to get whatever I needed to get through at that particular moment. So over the years, what I do is, this is an ongoing basis, my higher power rarely stays static. I'm always questioning. Obviously, I mentioned earlier, I'm always cursing as well, too, on some occasions when I feel the need to. 
But in my process of doing that, just like when I go over the first three steps in the morning when I pray, is, is that if I don't do that, then what happens is it's, it's kind of like you know leaving a substance out, any kind of food that's going to skim over at night and eventually just start crusting over, and before you know it, I've lost contact with my higher power. So it's an ongoing thing. It, it continues to develop, and I continue to find in bits and pieces of what I hear the wisdom of other people that have gone before me. The people that I refer to, not only in this room, but in other areas, is my spiritual ancestors. We all have spiritual ancestors to one degree or another. And I can learn from all of them to help me continue to understand that there is no way in my life that I can understand, define, or completely know what a higher power is. I just know what the results are for me. And so every time I do something and the result turns out well for me, I understand that that's going to be part of what I define my higher power as being. hope that answers the question. Your, your haircut looks nice, Carol. I like it. She <laughs> <laughs> talks about trying to avoid forming expectations. But we're all human and it's human nature to have expectations. So can you share a little bit about how you work to, to stop yourself from doing that or, or how you read once you realize you have an expectation and you're, or when you have it and it doesn't <laughs> the comment or question was, please talk about expectations. I was expecting you to say that. Um, that's a good question. Um, because I am a human being, sometimes I don't know that I'm in an expectation because there's a very, very fine line between expectation and hope. And depending on what side I happen to fall on, uh, will lead me down a road that is good for me in terms of the hope I think everybody does. It's kind of like a nice massage for your soul to have hope. And if it falls onto the other side of expectation, that means I want something out of it. And not only do I want something out of it, but it damn well better happen because if it doesn't happen, somebody's going to have to pay the piper for it. And eventually, of course, it'll be me. And when it does get to the point now, by the way, this happens on a daily basis with me. Yeah, I start going down those roads and I, at, at the point now where I can begin to see, and this is, I'm going to be very careful about this, where there are certain, certain types I can mentor myself through certain situations. I have to be very careful about that though because my ego, ego afterwards is going to want to say, oh, see, you did it on your own. But the truth of the matter is, and it's the collective wisdom of people who have gone through before me, my spiritual ancestors, if you would, who have taught me to, to deal with those things. I'll stop. I'll say a prayer to my higher power. With that thought or any thought that I have that I don't think is good for me. And I'll turn to my higher power in my head and I said, look, I recognize that this is something that's not going to be good for me, this expectation of XYZ happening. And if that expectation of XYZ doesn't happen, I know it's really, I'm going to get really pissed off, then I'm going to have a chance to get back into my addiction. So I tell you what, since you're this all-powerful SOB that you say you are, I'm going to give this to you for now, for safekeeping. You take this expectation or this thought, and if you think that I need to have this back again for whatever reason, then we'll renegotiate that when the time comes. But for right now, this ain't good for me. I just know that, so here you go. Does that answer the question? That's hopefully my semi-spiritual, sarcastic approach to those kinds of things. Roberta. Can you talk about service? Yes, service, how that helps you in your program. If you ever, in your entire lifetime, 
want to be able to learn how to deal with resentments, take a service position. Yay! <laughs> no, I, I'll, uh, more than that. That wasn't a sarcastic answer, by the way. Well, it was kind of one. Uh, it, it can be challenging because we're dealing with other human beings. And guess what? All these other human beings are, guess what? Compulsive overeaters. So we all bring this wonderful part of this ourselves to the table when we do that. But the nice part about it truly is, is that once again, it keeps me from isolating. If I have a commitment at a meeting on a weekly basis, whatever that may be, it gets my body there. And a quick story, if I understand it correctly, there was a particular army in the medieval times, four, five, six hundred years ago, time frame is not entirely important, otherwise they would ride their horses into battle. And they had a beloved king who had died. And what they did with his heart, because they wanted to preserve some of the king, was they put it in this uh, silver uh, container. When they would ride into battle, they would take that silver container and they would throw it all the way over the other side in, in the middle of the enemy. And the only way they could get back the beloved heart of their king was to go get it. And if I throw my heart into this particular program to the best of my ability, it's going to keep me moving forward in the areas that I need to. And by service commitments, even though sometimes I'm, I do it begrudgingly, sometimes I have to almost literally grab myself and pull myself out of bed to go do it, or sometimes I'm sitting there thinking to myself, God, I really want to be someplace off falling on the beach. That's my intellectual part. My spiritual part knows that without service, that's a part of this particular disease that we have that will keep me isolating and keep me wanting to just looking inward to what my needs are as opposed to looking outward to what other people might need. And the fact that this gift that was given to me, it's incumbent upon me if I want to retain my abstinence a day at a time, I need to be of service to other people. And I've been sometimes in small enough meetings that sometimes I was the only one there that showed up. And after 20 minutes, by God, if there wasn't some there, I got the hell out of there. But I knew for that problem, I mean, that moment was, my duty was to suit up and show up and to be of service to someone else, no matter who it might happen to be, in any possible way that I could. And I'm not perfect, so I don't do it 100% of the time. And I think I've just been uh, given the gong and the, uh, the long hook. So thank you for letting me share and answer any questions if possible.